Hey, every now and then, a quick note at top is needed as we want the best possible listening experience for our listeners. So at the end of this episode, you'll hear from Josh Silverberg. Again, I like to call him the point guard of these healing services. What you will hear from Josh Silverberg came out of the conversation we had with him and Micah on episode one. But the excerpts you hear on this episode were not included on that first episode. We wanted to reserve it for this one. I just wanted to clarify that it's not a replay because I didn't make that clear in the finished product of this episode. My bad and enjoy the listen, folks. I don't really like the word supernatural because it suggests that, like you said, suspending the way things are. And my deal is, no, when God acts in the world, that is the epitome of the way things are. Because the bottom line is, dude, I've buried people. Their life exemplified a faith, a relationship with God, a depth, a quality of commitment that was commendable in every way imaginable. And we buried them. What I wanted to know is, Lord, what do you want me to do or not do to cooperate with you on this journey so that it is maximized for my benefit and for the benefit of others in your kingdom? I think there's a possibility healings are less about why does God heal sometimes and other times not, and more about look at what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Here is a glimpse, everybody. Hey, check this out. Were you nervous? Extremely nervous. Natural wisdom would say, you should not be here. Cancel this guy. And they just looked at me. They're like, we really feel like God is in this. Please don't break our church. (laughs) That sounds way out of the norm of what Seacoast does. Yeah. His body was not recovering. My husband was like, all right, we really actually have to get your will in order. We need, I need everything in writing. Put his hands on my feet and said, "Uh, beautiful are the feet that carry the gospel. And in that very second, I, I started to get this burst of energy. All of a sudden, this electricity was coursing through my body, and every single symptom in that moment just left. It was just gone. And it had been years since I could even walk at a decent pace without my heart just freaking out. And I was like, I am healed, and I know I'm healed. What would it look like if we truly loved all of our neighbors? Could listening to their stories be the first step? This is Seacoast Church, and there's way more to talk about. Today, we have four pastors at Seacoast talking the theology surrounding miracles and those age-old questions of whether there's a rhyme or reason to when God heals, or if there's anything humans can do to increase the chances of receiving a miracle. And if faith is a ticket, what happened to the many people most of us know and love who prayed for a miracle with great faith only to see their loved ones die? It's Joey Svensson, host of the show, who you'll hear had a Pentecostal background. Jack Hoy, the younger version, will join us. He's the creative director, does research for sermons, majored in church history, thinks out of the box as he honors scripture and tradition. Chip Judd, our licensed therapist and pastor, was what you would have called a holy roller back in the day. He's got pretty radical and challenging views on the relationship between our prayers and God acting on our behalf. Julie Hyatt has been surrendered to the Lord for more years than I've been alive. Easy now. (laughs) Good times and a ton of difficult times, including a bout of breast cancer two years ago. Her experiences have helped shape her views on healing as she went through these things in relationship with her maker. And although it wouldn't be accurate to say that through this conversation, the theology is ironed out of what all of this was, especially considering the four didn't exactly see eye to eye with everything. Through this conversation, however, we believe that the wheels of questions will start turning in your own head. And that's a good place to start anytime we seek God in some unknown territory. So sit back, relax. And we'd love for you to go to our Facebook page, link in the show notes, to tell us what you think about the conversation you're about to hear. Maybe you'd like to comment on how you agreed with 100% one of these pastors, or maybe you want to voice some pushback. Let's keep the conversation going. It's Jack, Julie, Chip, and Joey. So the theology around miracles, obviously we're going to be talking about the 2019 services. I want to hit you guys with, with a couple of things, narratives, so to speak. And the first one, there's no, there's no emotional ploy here. It's just observation. There was an all staff time with Silverberg and I had just 
gotten on the other side of what I didn't know at the time was the first half of my mental health crisis. I thought that I was kind of getting back to a natural state. It almost felt like a halftime, the eye of the storm sort of thing. I even sat there with Josh Surratt and he was checking in, man, are you going to be okay? And, and I thought that I was, but I wasn't completely out of the woods and I asked for healing for my depression to go away. And little did I know in two months, the real pain would start and I would end up in the hospital for a week and out of work. So I would be one person who specifically asked for healing in regards to my depression, was not healed. And another uh, situation, this one just knocked me on my butt. So I was given three top choices for what good stories would be to tell. Well, I was in contact with one guy back and forth, and then all of a sudden, it stopped, and he, he wouldn't text me back. And I texted him a few times, hey, man, if you're not interested, totally get it. Uh, just let me know, though, because I would love to fit your story in. Still don't hear anything, so I'm like, okay, he you know got cold feet. I hear from his wife about two weeks later, and she said, I was looking through my husband's phone. I'm so sorry, but his cancer came back in full force, and he died. And so this is a person who went to the healing services, experienced a supernatural healing. Here we are four years later, and I don't know if it was the same cancer, but basically died of cancer. I'll start it here with you guys. Would we all agree at the very least that when it comes to miracles, there's no rhyme or reason to how God acts? No, I do not agree that there's no rhyme or reason. I do agree that there obviously are things we don't understand, but to say there's no rhyme or reason, no, I'm not willing to go that far. Could, could it be that we don't see the rhyme or reason? Absolutely. There. Absolutely. I mean, everything, everything, everything is going to make sense, but not necessarily on this side. I have such trust and confidence in God that everything that's ever happened to anybody anywhere is going to make sense, but it's kind of ludicrous to think that we're going to be smart enough for it to always make sense now from this side, but not necessarily from inside them. Yeah. Is there something that we can do to increase our chances for a miracle? I, I really don't like that question. Um, <laughs> do you like Joey? Pass. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't like that question because... I, you know, so, so, um, my mom had to have a bone marrow transplant about 23 years ago. She had what's called myelodysplasia. It's basically, you know, blood disease, you know, kind of like leukemia adjacent sort of thing. You know, I can remember like during that process, I was in college and I was in a class and healing came up and, and, you know, it was like some kind of theology class. And so it basically, you know, really was arguing the position that the only reason that anybody isn't healed is they don't have enough faith. And obviously I was not exactly in the best place to hear that personally. But, you know, it, it's always struck me as as just just very stupid and, and also really irresponsible because it, it's not just like, oh, that's workspace. It, it also really, really puts God in the position of just being the like the local heavy, right? Like the local mafia boss who basically, hey, if you want a favor, well, what, what are you going to do for him? He'd certainly like to do something for you, but what are you going to do for him? Is that the character of God? Like, is that the kind of father he is where, gosh, he sees you suffering, but uh, are you going to make it worth his while? And obviously that, that's, there's a personal aspect of that for me when I think about that. So there's that. So more prayer, more faith, well, what, what I was, what I was No, because what I was going to say is, is are there things you can do to have a better relationship with God? Yeah, of course. But I don't think that that's going to increase chances of a miracle. I think, like we were talking about, it's going to increase your chances of being able to probably better understand or be more likely to understand what God is doing. Will you be more open to God moving in your life? Yes. But God is working in your life no matter what you're doing, I think. Because again, it's like the, you know, like the, is there a warehouse in heaven where God, where God card catalogs all of the missed blessings that you have? It's like, that's kind of a weird image. Um, I think that there's kind of this unknowable deal where it's like, look, there is a capacity that you have to experience God in your life. And there is a sense in which that has to do with your closeness to him, but not in a reciprocal way, more in a, uh, look how, uh, you know, how, how open is that tap, right? How much is, how much are you letting out? I would make a couple comments. One, your, your opening statement that 
that that kind of a posture is stupid and irresponsible. I would agree with the second and not the first. If you were to take a purely scriptural, like you were going to say this, my opinion on healing is going to be based entirely on what scripture teaches, entirely, mm-hmm. verbatim. Uh, it would be stupid to not believe there's a connection between faith and healing, faith and miracles, because scripture, scripture just it's full of not just the promise of it, but the actuality of it, even the dynamic description of how it how it works, why it didn't in one community, it didn't work. Why? Because of their unbelief. My point being, I would I would take issue with calling it stupid. I would not take issue with calling that posture irresponsible, because anyone who is willing to say even even if you take a strong scriptural place, you know, by his stripes were healed. He sent his word and he healed us and all these different things. And he couldn't do many mighty miracles there because of their unbelief. Even if you take a hardcore posture there, it's still irresponsible, unkind, and unloving to go into any situation where a person is struggling with something and make it sound like if you just had enough faith. Yeah. Because, the, yeah. but let me finish the talk. Because, sure. they, because the bottom line is, dude, I've buried people, their life exemplified a faith, a relationship with God, a depth, a, a quality of commitment that was that was commendable in every way imaginable. Now, were they perfect? Of course not. And we buried them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've dealt with things in my life, still do, quite honestly, that a, a miracle wouldn't be a bad idea. My posture is this. The Bible seems to lean a certain direction. Like I would challenge anybody with this question. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, find anywhere in those books that someone came to Jesus asking for healing and did not receive it. And I can't find one. Now, I don't go from there to, well, bless your heart, Jack, if you had enough faith, you know, you wouldn't have that headache. Now, I used to. But now I'm I'm like, okay, God, I see the compelling case, mm-hmm. but I also am 69 years old and I've seen a lot of life and that preaches really, really good, but it doesn't live very well. It doesn't interact very well with the reality of people's lives. Because what it does is it makes people hide. Right. It makes them pretend. It makes them lie. So my thing is I'm good with a question. I'm good with, you know, God, Scripture seems to build a pretty good case for miracles, and there's a definite correlation. Yeah, no, that's a really good way of putting it. And you and I actually like probably agree with what you said is obviously part of this stupid thing is just my, you know, yeah. personal reaction. But, right, right, but right. The, the, that is more reacting to like what, the way you phrase it, Joe, is, is there anything <coughs> that you can do? Because like I agree about the faith, right? Mm-hmm. And like there is an absolute like, and that's kind of how I how I ended. Like there there is a relationship between yeah. your faith and relationship with God, and what you know what you're going to see Him do in your life. But when I hear the, is there anything I can do to increase the chance of a miracle? Like I, it makes me think of like the the Old Testament and kind of the like I don't get it. We're sacrificing all these animals. We're doing all the stuff you said to do, and he's like, I, yeah, I hate all that. I hate all of it. Or Jesus' deal is like, hey, yeah, you tithe, and you're missing the point. And you're doing all these things, and sure, they're all things that you've been told to do, and somehow you're missing everything. And and I think that's that's kind of my thing, which I think is what you're saying as well. But but in what you said, Jack, is mm-hmm. my real dilemma, because back then, when he said you're sacrificing, you're doing this, you're doing this, but you're missing, he could tell them what that was. Yeah, yeah. And what what disturbs me is. When you have to look somebody in the eye who either themselves or someone they love is dealing with a horrible situation, and the best they know how, they're trusting God, and you have to look them in the eye and say, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. My pet peeve with some interpretations of the Old Testament stuff is, oh, well, God this, God that. God never did anything. He didn't tell you why he did it. If he if he sent the Philistines to kick their butt, he told them why I'm sending them. Now, I, I say that I said never. I could I, I never searched it out. But that's the part that's disal- that, that's that's alarming to me and unsettling, quite honestly, at times, that I have to look into the eyes of someone who I've watched walk with God, pursue God, enjoy God. So actually, I agree with both of the statements that have been made. The only thing I was thinking... By, by, by Chip, right? Well, you know, yes, actually. Um, but, and so, but the only thing that I was thinking while they were talking was that pulling miracles out, that's the topic of conversation, the focus for this podcast. But I think a lot of it can be expanded to our, our walk with the Lord, not just whether we're praying for healing. Your question was, can we do anything to make it happen? There's another question, or can we do anything to get in the way, to prevent it, to not cooperate with God? 
And I think that may speak to um, it, that the overall picture of our walk with the Lord, our discipleship journey, how are we? My example, again, would be my cancer. I was one that prayed for healing, and the Lord said, not on earth. But it was my responsibility to cooperate enough to let go of the why, and actually, I never asked. I, I think just because of my age and experience, uh, the bottom line, I don't care. What I wanted to know is, Lord, what do you want me to do or not do? to cooperate with you on this journey so that it is maximized for my benefit and for the benefit of others in your kingdom. That proved very a, a very beautiful way to turn something horrible into productivity, but also something that kept me from going down the wrong path. Now, but let like, me say something about what Julie said. I like, because I was a little, I was a little painted into a corner when we were focusing on... Oh, we're so sorry. The, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we were focusing on the miracle only aspect. If you think about it, praying is a miracle. Believing, uh, having, a, having an, an, an interactive relationship with God is a miracle of sorts. And, and I'm, I'm pointing at Jack, but I, I don't mean this really, because I think Jack and I would like each other, even if Jesus wasn't in the middle, because there's just a mental side that we connect on. But there's people that I fellowship with around the church. We have nothing in common. There's nothing that connects me and makes me that I, I wouldn't pick up the phone and call that person other than this invisible, weightless, proofless presence of a living God. To me, that's a miracle. There's lots of miracles that are happening all the time. What we're really talking about is when is when your back's up against the wall kind of miracle. And um, gosh, it's tricky, man. Yeah. Here's what I've been thinking. And this, this can fluctuate because I don't think there's, I think we all agree this isn't anything that we can nail down. But I'm telling you, this has been a huge faith builder. So, I mean, all, all the interviews have been done as far as the miracle accounts. And I'm, I'm just absolutely floored personally. I sometimes wonder, Chip, when you say there wasn't one time where Jesus said no to one asking for a miracle, that means very little to me when it comes to 2023, because I think there's a possibility that healings are basically less about why does God heal sometimes and other times not, and more about look at what the kingdom of God is, is going to be like. Here, here is a glimpse, everybody. Hey, check this out. So Jesus comes to authenticate his lordship and divinity. He's doing miracles, but he's also saying, this is the kingdom. Everyone is going to be healed. I think when we're in heaven, we're going to recognize there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference in dying as a five-year-old and an 80-year-old when it comes to time. you know. I, and that's, that's basically God's perspective. And so I don't think it's a matter of, oh man, I'm, God was gracious. He, he healed my child so my child could live longer. It was, whoa, this is a sign of the kingdom because we have talked to so many people and a lot of us in this conversation right now, I think we would say the percentages of times in which someone was not healed is greater than the times and someone was healed in our, in our sphere, at least for me, like there's definitely been more times where it seems like God hasn't answered. I mean, how, how else can you explain all of a sudden out of nowhere, we have these healing services that are unprecedented in the Seacoast world. where did it come from? I mean, we've always sought the things after the Holy Spirit. Well, very practically, where did it come from? The guy gets up on stage and he says, I studied umpteen hours on YouTube. Where it came from is a guy who said, I believe God still wants to heal. I'm going to go after it. So you can't make it sound like it was just happenstance. It, it wasn't just happenstance. How did that get to us? Well, Micah, somehow I don't remember how they got connected. Yeah. But bottom line, the guy prays for Micah over the phone. Now, I would look at that like this. God motivated this young guy to give him a vision and a passion for healing. Now, maybe he was neglecting other areas of his life. I don't have a clue. But we do know from his testimony and the fruit of it that he absolutely insanely focused himself on, I'm going to study healing from anywhere I can get it. And guess what it produced? Healings. So I don't think it's fair to make it sound like it just kind of happened. Would it be fair to say, and I'll just direct this question at you, Julie, and then anybody else chime in, would it be fair to say then that if I find out that I have cancer tomorrow, having Josh Silverberg pray for me, 
I'm probably going to be better off than someone who just accepted Christ and hasn't even really started in their relationship. In other words, am I better off with 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 Julie or Jack? I mean, we all know Julie lives her life better than Jack, is smarter it's, than it's Jack Julie. and all that, but they both have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Julie, are we better off? Like, uh, let me give you an example, Julie. When I was first at Seacoast, Ernest brought all the youth pastors together. And he basically said, Julie Hyatt, it's probably one of the first times I met you, is going to pray over all of you. He specifically chose Julie Hyatt. He he said something along the lines of, you're very studied in prayer. It would make sense then that Ernest thought it, you guys would be better off Julie Hyatt praying over you right now than even me, Ernest. Actually, I don't remember that. But here... I'm, my answer is no, and here's what I'm going to why I'm going to say that. So, your question was: Correct me if I'm wrong. Would I be better off if Josh Silverberg prayed over me than if he did not? Correct. He did yes. pray over me, and correct. It, 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 it in the natural realm, it didn't make a difference. I, my cancer proceeded, so that was the end of that. And the whole "let's get Julie to pray for you" thing. I keep telling people they have the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwelling in them as I do. Now, has God, you know, called one of us to be a cook in a restaurant and one of us to be a table clearer? We may have different roles in the kingdom based on how God's given us. Do you think Josh Silverberg has a gift of healing? I have no idea. I just don't know. I mean, but but I, I you know, I really wouldn't answer a question of, do you think so-and-so has it? any particular gift, unless I really knew that person. Um, one thing I would say is, one of the things that makes this difficult, and, and honestly, it's sort of a similar thing as your question about, is there anything you can do to increase your chances of healing? Because I think one way to answer that question is, yes, there is, and God is not bound by it. He's not bound to act in any particular way based on what we do and don't do. And in the same way, it's like, oh, so is it better to be prayed for this person or a brand new believer? It's like, it depends on what God wants to do. Chip's going to disagree with that. I'm already thinking what Chip is thinking. I, well, God just, is bound to his own promises. No, Can I get well, a well, hallelujah? Well, wait, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> he, he's, he's, bound, he's bound to his own promises. And are we always very good at interpreting what those are and what it means he must do? I just, I don't know. God routinely subverts expectations over and over again. And a lot of it has to do with, boy, so-and-so sure would be a good candidate to do this. And then God says, no, actually, I'm going to pick this other person. Does it make sense to me that God would be more likely to work through the prayers of a Josh Silverberg than a brand new believer? Yes. Does he have to do it that way? No, he really doesn't. And I I don't know. I just think that those are the things that I think we routinely uh, get a little bit tripped up in when we think, oh, well, God's got to do this. And then he does something very unexpected. Because my guess would be that Josh Silverberg specifically has some sort of gift that I don't have... I could have if God wanted me to have it. And I believe, like you said, God's not bound by anything. So I could pray for somebody right now. They get healed on the spot. But there's something going on with Josh Silverberg that isn't going on with me. And I don't have a problem with that. I mean, the Bible clearly says he gives gifts. Um, Whether they're resident within a person, permanent, et cetera, who knows? The other side of the coin is, I think, like like different muscles, there's some people that have a passion for things and they develop a muscle in that area. And clearly, that would be, be true of him. And again, let me preface it by saying that I suspect there's some semantics involved in the issue that's been raised that I'm about to put my two cents in. The whole thing about God being bound by things, we don't ever think that thought when we pray the sinner's prayer with someone. We don't ever question whether God's going to save them. And that's a violation of integrity if on another scripture that is very prevalent, promise, we, we feel the liberty to say, well, you know, God might not have meant it exactly. Now, again, semantics. If I promise you, you know, I'll meet you for breakfast tomorrow, eight o'clock, such and such a restaurant, and I'm buying. If I don't show up, come and don't bring any money or whatever, I have lied to you. I'm bound by my word to do what I said I was going to do. I believe God gave us a written expression of his will, his heart, his purpose, his desire. And I think he meant for it to give us a sense of who he is, what he's like, what he will do, what he won't do, what he is in favor of, what he's not in favor of. Now, obviously, I don't think that means we can hold his feet to the fire on every little 
issue and desire we have. But I do think it's more binding, if you will, than we sometimes are comfortable saying. There's verse in Hebrews where God says he bound himself with an oath. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out what that scripture is saying. It means God bound himself by declaring a promise, a commitment. I don't think it's a stretch to say, well, if God bound himself, then he's bound. Now, does that give you carte blanche to any, any phrase in the Bible you can hold his feet to the fire? No. But I think we need to wrestle through being so quick to say, well, you know, we, can't, we can't force God to do something. Uh, if I told you I'm going to meet you at 8 o'clock tomorrow morning and I want to retain a, a sense of integrity in your eyes, you have a right to call me at 8.05 and say, where is your ugly butt? You told me you were going to be here. And I think there's a point in our in, in interacting with God where we have a right to say, God, like this is where I'm at with healing. My thing is this, God, God, I believe you promised healing to everybody every time. For some reason, it's not happening. I, I don't question your integrity, but I also don't assume we're doing everything right. So promise healing here on this earth. On You're saying that? Uh, like yes. that's what we're promised? Yes. I believe part, I believe part of the covenant... Part of the atonement was he shed his blood for our sin, he bore his stripes for our healing. So where does someone eventually get to a place where they say, I'm asking God for healing, God has given me God? Like, it, it seems like sometimes we can be so passionate about a healing that we overlook, oh, God is with me. I agree. I don't have any problem with that. Chip and I tend to be, like, we're very different people, as I think you've said. And, and I feel like we tend to be on a lot of things, like, at the same time, an inch apart and a mile apart, which mm-hmm. is good. Like, I, yeah. I would provisionally agree, because I've never really thought about the phrase like that, the idea of, like, God is bound by his promises. I think I agree with that. And I say I think because I've never really, really thought about that particular idea. What I would say is he's not bound by our interpretations mm-hmm. of his promises. That's a, good, that's a good thought. And also, I think one of the tendencies that, In my experience, that a lot of Christians uh, that I've encountered have is to universalize every promise in the Bible. Right. And, And I think that's a mistake, too. No, My plans like, are to prosper you. That's to Israel. <laughs> well, but but also it's like, look, if every promise is for you, then go claim your plot of land in Israel. Uh, you know, <laughs> well, I, I I think that's that's part of it, and and this, that, like Trisha, that's that's part of the wrestling. Is have I understood properly what you've said to me? Yeah, but Jack, and, and I agree, I completely agree with you, and, and you 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 kind of stirred in me a way to to balance out what I'm saying. I trust God enough. I've, I've journeyed with him enough that I know enough of what he's like, and I know that even creeps some people out. But I don't mean I know him totally, but I know enough that here's the deal. If I need healing and don't get it, he's got a reason for that. There's factors I'm not aware of. There's benefits to me and others I'm not aware of. There's per- permutations beyond my computer's capacity to make. But I'm not willing to say Ultimately, it wasn't his will to heal me. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he'd still like to heal me. Yes. But he knows there's a better way to get my attention or get somebody else's attention or I don't know. I mean, anything we say there is is just is just weak because the bottom line is it's a I, I prefer to just read the scripture pretty straightforward. He bound himself with an oath. Like, God, did, did you mean to say that? I mean, there's so much trial talk, though, in the Bible. And every that that's the only thing that's always a blessing, as far as I'm concerned. When I read, that's the <laughs> only thing that we can take to the bank that's going to be a blessing are right. the trials that shape. I don't know if I would go so far as to, like, I don't think it was God's original will for there to be sickness, but I for sure believe that sickness is one of those things that draws us closer to the Lord and something that God could allow for greater purpose, you know, perseverance, character. and Why are we so quick to say, well, God uses pain and suffering? Well, why doesn't he, why don't we notice the sunrise? Why don't we notice the joy of a friend like you, Joey? And I just think, gosh, what an honor it is. But it's biblical. I mean, at the beginning of James, I mean, I think it's First Peter is like these these but trials it's, but are it's purifying. De- it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah. In other words, it's descri- describing the reality. We're hard headed. Here's my deal about suffering. If if suffering helps us grow, which I believe it does, we don't need the devil. We just need each other. Because if God thinks suffering's good for us, just put us in the room with two other people. And we'll have all the suffering we need. You know, like Job. My deal with Job is simple. Follow Job, but please follow him to the end. Don't follow him to the part of the story that fits where you're at. If you're going to say, I'm an, I'm an ambassador or a disciple of Job, then follow him all the way to the end. 
And now, I believe there's a possibility, please don't brand me a heretic, that Job's an allegory. Meaning what? It's the story of the entire human race. And we, we flounder under all the crap. And then one day we see God for who he really is in the person of Jesus and things end pretty good. So now I'm okay with it being fact and a real person and all, but even if it is, it's still representative. See, here's the thing about the kingdom now and, and, and now and not yet. Um, Hebrews 6 says, those who have tasted the powers of the age to come. What does that mean? That means I believe there's there's people that just by audacity and faith will say, you know what, God, I believe this is what the kingdom's going to be like when you're here on earth, but scripture seems to indicate we can pull it back here now and at least enjoy a foretaste of it. Let's not make excuses for why it doesn't happen. Let's try to figure out how much of it we can get. We haven't talked about what a miracle is. We've been focused on the healing, and that may be where you want to stay and keep the conversation contained. But going back to Chip has alluded to the miracles that we see with our eyes, but why do we assume that a miracle has to be a dramatic healing or the parting of a Red Sea? If we're going to look for where God is at work in our lives, we need to look for where he's at work in our lives so that when the day comes, for example, get a diagnosis of cancer, and you are tempted to go down that rabbit trail of why, You won't ask why. You already know that, God. You've seen him, how he works. And the miracles all around have drawn us to him to learn about him. Then we have a place to put all that. Uh, My understanding is you want to keep this focused on healing. Is that correct? I think you bring up a good point. I mean, I I see miracle as something that happens in the supernatural that's not natural. Would we all agree with that? That that is what a miracle is? It's something that's... No? No. Well, I don't, I, I don't really like the word supernatural because it suggests that there's, it's like you said, suspending the way things are. And my deal is no, when God acts in the world, that is the epitome of the way things are. He can't act in a way that denies reality. He acts in a way that is supremely real. But miracle as far as anti-science and what we observe? No, I don't think, I don't think that's true at all. You know, again, like the idea of supernatural suggests that, again, it kind of reinforces the idea that there's, oh, there's this material realm and there's a natural realm. It's like, I just, that dichotomy is really unhelpful. You know, in, in the Old Testament, you just see the ways in which these realms are constantly interacting with each other. And that is the norm. Tripp talked about, you know, kind of that example of you tend to be strong, like, like muscles, you tend to be strong in what you work out. And I just think our sense of the spiritual world has so atrophied in the West, that we're basically unable to understand what is actually there all the time. Yeah, the point Jack's making is a really, 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 really important point. The reality is the natural and spiritual interacting all the time, and they're present all the time. We've talked about this briefly before. You can look at the stages of philosophical shifting in culture. You go back to what they used to call pre-modern. Pre-modern was the spiritual was dominant, present in everything. And like if if it rained today, it's because the spirit realm was happy. If my crops came in, you know, whatever. Then you hit the modern and the modern said, okay, let's back off all that. And in a sense, shut off the spiritual realm. And that's where we started to study science, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what the post-modern has done is they said, we're tired of the straitjacket of science and fact and truth with a little T, not a big T. And what they've said is, let's just throw it all out and act like we got a blank canvas and start over, but not with an accurate depiction of what Jack's referring to, that God is here in this room right now. Now, are our senses trained to be aware of it? To, I mean, do we do our, does our does our hair stand up and in? Now, the reality is, occasionally it does, and that's the kind of stuff that to me is fun to figure out. Like, how could we make that even more accessible and common? Would you agree that there's certain things that science can measure, and there's certain things that it can't, and not necessarily measure, but assess, analyze. If the supernatural exists, which I do believe. I don't believe that it's something that science has access to prove. Young lady at our church who didn't have arches in her feet was prayed over and people actually saw arches Mm -hmm. develop on the inside of her feet. We can't bring science into the picture necessarily and explain how that happened. Now, we could use science to say, here's what her feet are now. And is it safe to say that there is a realm that our, like if the supernatural is true, if God is true, we can't prove it or measure it or I, apply science but, to it. But but so what? 
I mean, science couldn't engage with the subatomic. Oh, I agree. World, no, I agree. I don't. So, I don't pose this as a problem. So, no, right. So, so I guess I'm just saying, like, yeah. So what? It's kind of my thing. There are any number of things that you don't even have to be religious to acknowledge that science can't quantify. Science can't quantify your love for your kids. Right. Science can't quantify altruism. It can't measure these poetry, things. Poetry, so, music. Yeah. It, it, I think like the the shift from like modernism to postmodernism is is a problem because it's like we this idea that you know capital S science can explain everything that's deeply ingrained in us in, in a way that is just cultural. And there's this idea, like Chip was saying, that like, yeah, it's like, but let's break it all down and start over. And so one of the things that kind of means is when it comes to the spiritual realm, it's kind of like we're all kind of like kids who have discovered these who have discovered like power tools and that's kind of like my one of the things is like we don't want to understand what we're dealing with. And that's kind of my thing about people who, you know, like like younger people who engage in like some of the spiritual stuff that we would probably say is not good spiritual stuff is like you guys are like four-year-olds who found your dad's gun. You do not understand what you're messing around with. But I think it's somewhat similar, honestly, on the other side with like miracles and things where it's like we're trying to rediscover this muscle that is severely atrophied. Yeah. And I just feel like part of this whole discussion is we don't fully understand this side of things the way that a thousand, fifteen hundred years ago people would have. They, they understood this better than we do right. in some ways. If you think about the modern movement, you got pre-modern, modern, and post-modern. What, what happened was, and again, I don't mean this as ugly as it's, and judgmentally as it's going to sound, but the bottom line is we want to figure out how to explain reality without God. Because if there is a God, then we're answerable to him. So we have a built-in bias to create a reality that is explainable without God, because then we don't have to answer to him. And please don't un ever underestimate the power of that bias to twist what you do see and don't see and how your calculations go awry. So what science does is science studies what it can. It studies what you can see, feel, taste, touch, blah, 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 and measure. If we're not going to have a universe with a God in it, and we want to have any sense of safety, we have to be able to predict because prediction is all about safety. So science has become godlike to us because it gives us the illusion of safety and control, et cetera, et cetera. Same thing with healing. What we want to do is we want to boil it down to a couple of simple rules so we can feel like we can control it by predicting it. Well, if I do this, God must do that. Well, you know, I think there's, there's places in Scripture where you say, you know, you're not that far off track if you just find a simple formula of deduction. But you're leaving a whole lot out of your calculations. And so I think some of it, when we try to nail these things down, we're trying to do away with mystery. We're trying to do away with uncertainty. And we're just trying to feel safer. And unfortunately, if you push this thing too hard, wind it down too hard, it does just the opposite. Because then where you walk away with is, well, I didn't get healed. I must not have faith. God must not be pleased with me, whatever. And dear God, Jesus, help us not do that. If you had to guess, because we don't know, but quantitative prayer, if you had two guys and they both are in desperate need of a healing, one of them texts his mega church pastor buddy, says, please have the church pray for me. He sends it out in an email to 30,000 people. The other guy calls his neighbor who's a Christian, says, hey, will you pray for me? They both have the same condition. Would you rather be the guy who has 30,000 people praying for him? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I, but I, but I mean, and that's not like ah, oh, like you know, God's like, oh boy, look at those numbers. Here's a question: like, who's that guy's neighbor? Right? right. Is, is you know, because the you know, um, prayers of a righteous man. You know, one of one of my you know stupid jokes is anytime I see someone who's like talks about how like oh my grandma's praying for me, it's like look, then just you might as well go to church. If your grandma's <laughs> praying for you, just start going to church. It's over. And, and because I I really do I really do think that. There are people to whom God listens in particular ways. You know, uh, like Chip said, sometimes there are people that we expect because we know and we know what their walk is like. But I think a lot of times it's people that you don't know just because they're not people who are, you know, it's like I've got a brand and I've got a social media following. They're just quiet people. And so, uh, you know, the, the simple answer is, yeah, to go with the 30,000 because obviously the chances that there are more of those people in that group than others is higher. But those are the people. 
that I look for. So like when I, when I need prayer or if I've got someone that I need prayer for, those are the people that I reach out to. You know, like, I, I don't know, this is might be just a silly way of saying it, but I, I want people praying for me that I think that they are people that God smiles when he thinks about like in a, in a particular way. I'm not trying to like, Oh God smiles when he thinks about everyone. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you guys know what I mean? Like the people who are just close to God in a special way. Those are the prayers that, that I, I really covet. Now my answer to it is, I don't care. In fact, I'd probably rather the the few because here's here's my experience. My experience: if you ask thirty thousand people to pray, most of them are just going to gossip. They're not going to pray. They're just going to gossip. I'd rather have five people who know me, care about me, and really want my outcome to be good than thirty thousand who don't have a clue who I am, and or they do know who I am and they just want to be able to say they prayed for me. I'm going to have to go with quality, not quantity, based on the God that I have learned, and I could be wrong. But the the God that I read about in Scripture is is a God of quality, not quantity. So I'm I'm going to go with that. Yeah. All right. Just a few more questions, but I, I do want to circle back around Julie, Chip. What do y'all think? Would y'all be uncomfortable with my theory, so to speak, that God healing people on this earth isn't necessarily like a God's being merciful to us as much as God is saying, look at what my mercy is going to look like forever and ever and ever. This is just a, a sign. Would, would you be uneasy with breaking down healing on this earth right now to basically a sign of the things to come? Yeah, I'd be uncomfortable with that. I, I, I would be better with saying it's both. But, but I, I prefer to think that to God, everything is personal. It just it just breaks down my my sense of the whole narrative. I think God delights in healing somebody. I think God is really really looking forward to the day when the kingdom has come in its fullness and sickness is gone and whatever whatever. Uh, so I believe He takes great delight in it, and that's part of what fuels my thinking. That um, I think He'd like more of it happening. Now, oh, it's our fault. Well, one of my underlying premises about most issues is. We, by nature, shirk responsibility. So I would say, yeah, there's probably things involved that we have some influence over, but not to the black and white formulaic degree that we started talking about today. Like, I, you know, you've heard me say this before, Joey. My posture is pretty simple. Does, does prayer make a difference? Anybody would say yes. Does the church pray like it should? Everybody's going to say no. And then I'm going to say, well, then why do we think God gets what he wants? So for me, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's all I need to do to say, do I think everything God wants to happen happens? And my answer is no, absolutely not. Yeah. All right. I'm going to give y'all three real life situations that I've encountered and get y'all's take on it, and then we'll be good to go. One of them, I'm sure you guys have also, and maybe ascribe to this sort of posture, but how do you feel about someone who, let's say Chip says, man, I think I'm getting a sore throat. And I'm the type of person that says, whoa, whoa, whoa don't claim that. Rebuke it. Rebuke Jesus that. Name. You need to walk in the healing that mm-hmm. God promised. Does that resonate? Don't don't speak that, man. Come on, guys. No. I mean, if it, if it was persistent enough and whatever in somebody's life that I lived with in and out day and day, you know, I might say, hey, you know, your words are important, whatever. But no, I'm, I, no, I would never. Now, to be honest with you, 35 years ago, I probably would have done that because I cut my teeth on all this stuff. Yeah. What about you, Julie? If someone claims that, I mean, did you tell people I have breast cancer? Yeah, because I saw it on a, I saw it. So, so, and even, and I went through this at the first few years at Seacoast with um, some individuals and it was where I had to wrestle out my theology of suffering because my, my mentors were saying, you can speak it into existence. You can claim it like it is, like that it is like it is. And I wrestled with the fact that the x-ray shows that the arm is broken in five places. So while I'm going to believe in the power of God and I could watch that bone in case he heals it, I can't say it's not that way. So does that make sense? Yep. Young man passes away in the hospital. Tons of believing family members are shocked because they were believing for healing, a woman gets off the elevator, a woman who I love dearly, and I pretty much asked her, I said, did you know he passed? And she immediately 
nods her head yes and says, just like I'm talking to you right now, I, I came to raise him from the dead. Goes into this person's room, sees the widow mourning, and for the next hour and a half to two hours, is praying for the young man to be raised from the dead. Like If, if y'all were there, would y'all feel comfortable with that? No, I wouldn't feel comfortable with it. It would be tricky, though, depending on who this person was. Right, right. If if the, the the widowed wife was there, I would yield to whatever she wanted. If she said, let her have at it, I, you know, I would be thinking about the testimony it's making to the staff of the hospital. And Cause, I've, cause actually, my, I've actually had that happen to me. Yeah, because my, my thought on that is if God specifically tells you, hey, I want to raise that young man up from the grave, and I'm asking you specifically, and someone's heart is quickened to do that. I think this person is this the theology that she lives by is well, that's God's promise to everyone. Because I do think there may be situations in which God communicates specifically to someone, they're like, Hey, I know this is crazy, I know this looks crazy, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I, you know, this is what, what. What do you think, Julie? Well, that happened um, years ago at Seacoast, someone, someone's daughter died, and a relative said, I am going down there and I'm going to pray for her to be raised from the dead. And he did. He said God told him to do that and he was going to act and follow God's instructions. Did God tell him? I, we don't know that. She, and we she, never and, will. And it worked? But is what his, you're saying? No, it did not. But his faith was such that he was willing to do that. I didn't do that, though Scripture clearly says that being raised from the dead is an option on the table, but I didn't go down there. I thought it was kooky at the time, but I look at it now with a little bit more gray hair, and I think, you know what? I don't know if it was kooky or not, but I admired his courage and his belief in his God. All right, last situation, a... Another young man who has basically been connected to life support for a week. There's a lot of prayer warriors at the hospital, including a mother and daughter who are praying fervently in in the lobby, not taking no for an answer. Your son is going to be healed. Well, again, a whole week has gone by and the mother starts... In my opinion, what was going on is God started to deal with her heart as far as, will you serve me either way this goes? Because she had the same sort of faith. God is going to heal my son. Well, once she started to think along the lines of, hey, is it going to be well with my soul? However, this you know pans out. And she started to open her heart up to God being there regardless. The, the two people that were praying fervently literally said, don't you dare give up on your son. Mm. Are they missing something here? Yeah, I mean, that, gosh. Uh, it, I mean, it's none of your business what God and I are inter- interacting, com- having a conversation about. And, uh, my gosh, it's my son. Yeah, that that would be profoundly inappropriate. And there's a situation that's fairly current to where it's almost that exact situation. It didn't go well. Um, They said he was healed um, and he was not and he died. And it has driven family members now to doubt everything about their faith, everything about God. And they were but because they were given that kind of guidance and it actually has turned them away from the Lord. But I think kind of central in all this is our, I say our individual for the church, for the culture, is our desperate need to know why and understand every element of everything that occurs in in a realm that is not in the natural. We search for why, and Chip, I'm sure, in your counseling, you hear people get derailed, their faith gets derailed, their emotions go bananas, searching for why. And we aren't willing to let go and say, I don't understand, but I trust the God that I serve. Yeah, I usually encourage people to, let, let's go, let's deal with why later. And I mean much later. Was there like a tangible, in the room, was, was there a tangible sense of the Spirit that's uncommon? In those services? Yeah. Um, not beyond anything we're, we normally experience. I think the main thing that, that Josh did well was he had a lot of Scripture. I think he was very sincere. He he was very. It was very obvious that this was uh, important to him, fun to him. I think for the most part, he kept his eyes on God and Jesus, and gave the credit to the right place. 
And I think there was enough hunger in the room. And then I think there were enough things that happened on the front end that stirred and ignited more faith. And, uh, and I think that's why it continued. And, but, but I've been in, I've been in environments many, 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 many times, even more powerfully anointed in, in whatever than that environment. I mean, I was going to tell you about a healing that we yeah. witnessed in our church. Yeah. I don't remember what exactly was happening. We did have a guest speaker. He was a guy who operated in the gifts of the Spirit, particularly prophecy and healing to some degree. And we were in worship. He might have been having people come up for prayer. Maybe it was at the end of the service that we were worshiping. And we had a guy who had Parkinson's. And I mean, he had a walker and everything. And he just, he shook so severely he couldn't even walk. And he was not an old man. He was uh, probably at the time, he was in his 40s. The guests that we had, we were worshiping. The presence of God was just rich and thick. And he called the guy up there to come receive prayer. And I was standing on the front row, so I was as close as me to you right now. All I can tell you is, I mean, the, the worship was awesome. The presence of God was very tangible. I can't say I saw or heard, but I don't need any other words to use. It was like I, it was like in the spirit or something, I saw and heard like lightning and thunder. And this, it, it's like it hit this guy and he let go of his walker and ran around the room, just took off running. Now, I'm a bit of a skeptic, cynical maybe, because I've seen so many shenanigans around this stuff. That here's where my mind goes. Let's let's see how he's doing tomorrow. Well, that guy lived another, I don't know, 15 years. Dang. Parkinson's free. Wow. Completely healed. And I've never seen a healing quite like that one. I've seen others. Uh, it's the only thing I know to call it. It was like there was this, this in the spirit, not the natural. And he took off running. I asked the Lord one time, I was like, not too long ago, you know, God, why don't we see more of what we see in the Bible? You know, I've been at this a pretty good while, and I've seen it really good stuff, and I've seen that good stuff manipulated. Yeah. And I just felt like God said, I can't trust you with it. Yeah. Because if I, if I anoint you in a special way, you'll go write a book and build a ministry and make money and ruin your life. So I, I think there's an element of the supernatural that we aren't willing to take a hard look at the ramifications of it. It's a pretty heady thing when people's lives are literally saved, healed. And people will give a lot of money for that, man. The, when I was pastoring, we had a guy come in and we had the the wildest, most anointed, amazing meetings we've ever had in the whole history of our church. I mean, it was it was just phenomenal, the presence of God for an entire week. We talked afterwards. He got the largest offering our church had ever given to a guest. And we talked about it afterwards, and I don't mean this as tacky as it sounds, and it wasn't intentional on his part. But he said, the thing that anybody who does what I do has got to learn quickly is this, the gold follows the glory. If, if you show up with a special anointing, people will throw money. And I don't know that we're prepared for all that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Chip, I go back to what you said God told you when you asked him about why don't we see more. And I, and I think that's our problem is that pride and, you know, attention getting and that center of it all is such an enticement to people. I, I don't think he can trust the we flesh start, We start thinking we're special and, and we're not. Before we let you go, we decided to insert here some healing theology from Josh Silverberg that he shared during his telling of the narrative in episode one. Given this episode is mainly for the theology, we decided to include some of those theological deep dives. We'll jump around a bit from one thought to the next, and you'll hear a beep separating each one. So if this is like your first listening to like a, a healing or miracle story, don't think if you went forward some Sunday morning for prayer and you didn't have lightning hit you and you didn't have this immediate effect that God's not working. Because really, it's, this is my belief, as that the Word of God is effective and powerful. And that any time that we speak in accordance to God's Word, in accordance to His will, there is a shift. Now, sometimes the shift is measurable and sometimes it's not. You could be shifting something 1% and not know it. I'm just reminded of a different testimony of someone that we prayed with for like six months that eventually did get healed. But our first time praying with this person, like their entire body was in pain and they were basically disabled, bedridden with six chronic diseases. And on a good day, they could get up, but on bad days, they would be bedridden. Well, on her first prayer, the only thing she could do is move her neck. For those of you who are looking at this, this much better. Because that happened, I'm like so overcome with joy. I'm like, 
the whole mountain's going to fall, baby. Like we get a little bit here. We just keep going. But she was so initially disappointed. Didn't want prayer again. Thought the whole thing was a failure. We over sensationalize this. But it's the simplicity of coming into agreement with God's word and then applying God's word. And sometimes in the application of it, it's a process. So I just want to be clear on that so people don't get disappointed when they go forward and all of a sudden it's not wow. And Mike and I, we've seen a lot of wows and we love the wows, like that one and done situation. But there's a, also a prescription in the Bible that says, keep asking, keep knocking. And that's all referring to prayer, not salvation. That's like, how do you get your prayers answered? Well, Jesus tells us yeah. to be persistent. And some of that helps us grow up in our faith, because then we're not giving in to emotions. We're not giving to feelings. We're not giving a circumstance. We're not lowering our theology and thought of God to our personal experience. It's my job to love, and it's my job to extend the hand in that moment to the best of my ability, my faith in that moment. And other than that, there's no responsibility because the work of healing, first of all, was accomplished by Jesus. The power of the miracle comes from the Holy Spirit. That's not us. We just partner with the Holy Spirit. That's the other thing that really helped me to press in and perseverance. We are ambassadors of heaven, bringing in a foreign kingdom, shaking off the ruling powers of of this earth, which the Bible says is Satan. He's the prince of the air. And the believer, God is the ruling kingdom and Lord. But on this earth, he gave dominion first to humanity, but then humanity gave it over to the devil. It's not that the devil has the right because he doesn't, but he rules on a throne of lies. And then once the believer then believes the words of Jesus versus the words of the devil, the lies of the devil that come into our flesh, through our mind, through our bodies, then we start speaking in the authority and partnering with the word of God, and we start seeing this change. And that's why when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, he said, pray like this, that my will will happen. That's so profound because if you think you prayed one time or five times, you didn't see the answer. It's like God's will doesn't automatically happen. Why would God ask us to pray for it to happen if it automatically did? And sometimes there's these songs in Christian music that turn my stomach in sickness, like God's in control of everything. Don't worry about it. I'm like, that's a recipe for the laziest Christian I've ever heard of. For you not to be a good dad, if something comes into your home as a father, you you need to take authority of it and cast it out. If you feel like sickness, depression, anxiety, your family going a certain way, like stand up and say, no, I'm going to fight for my family. I'm going to fight for love. I'm going to fight for peace. I'm going to fight for peace in my marriage. Like You go for that stuff. You don't let it happen because you think that's God's will. Whatever happens is God's will. But just we distorted the idea of the sovereignty of God. Because in God's sovereignty, this is how he set it up. He made us the main components of the delivery system of his will. And I'll just say this, and this is shocking once I saw this in scripture, every miracle of God, every single one, including the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, he used humanity to partner with him. And I'm like, what do you, how, how did Jesus get help besides God to raise? Because 200 prophets like prophesied about his coming before he did. There was so, so much humanity set up. He needed Mary to be birthed through. He needed to be killed by humans. Every miracle of God was partnered by humans. Everyone listening to me, the Lord has miracle assignments for you, you know, and they may not always look like what Micah experienced, but God has put you where your job is what family you're in. He absolutely has divinely placed you in these situations. And he has these assignments over your life to release miracles. It could come in words of encouragement, but he wants to grow you in your spiritual discernment, awareness, and, and power to release the kingdom and absolutely use your words to turn hell into heaven. And that's what that prayer is, that his kingdom would come, that it would look like heaven on earth. Well, biblically, the reason for the gift is for the teaching and the edifying of the saints for the work of the saints ministry. And then also what it says about the gifts is that they're all attainable and they're all supposed to be eagerly desired after. And if you broke down that word, there's there's a 
envy and a jealousy in that in that desire in that like original root word and it's the only time in the in the bible it's it's almost like a legal envy because envy is a sin right to want something you don't have someone else's stuff but this is the one time you're able to want something you don't have that's like god's like no you go after this like you should be jealous for this and you go after it, especially prophecy like you go after this stuff but I have, um, we'll call this a Josh theory, because the body of Christ is not one person, it's everybody with Christ as the head. You know, like as exciting as this like Asbury revival is happening, as exciting as this revival, like healing revival that happened at Seacoast, it's a portion of the Christ's body as a whole, right? But what it seems like what's happening with Asbury, Asbury stuff seems like it's spreading more, right? So I personally believe that the more people that press into the kingdom for salvation of every kind, healing of every kind, deliverance of every kind, every miracle you've seen Jesus and the disciples do, like go after it, we are all going to actually benefit because it's the whole body of Christ being in one accord and moving forward to destroy the works of the enemy. Mental torment, sickness of every kind, to cast out all of that stuff. Also, it talks about Jesus' return, which every day we're one day closer. It could be a thousand years from now, or it could be 30. We are going to move more like Christ as we get closer to His return. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll have an assortment of reactions to these accounts of healing from staunch believers in the supernatural realm and faith in the coming kingdom all the way to naturalists who do not believe in miracles. Yeah, real listeners just like you who can only decide for themselves what they believe is really going on in these stories. It's going to be interesting to hear how various folks from different beliefs process what you've just heard. Join us next week for the last episode of this series. Don't forget to subscribe and join our Facebook page as we're planning a Q&A with some of the folks you heard from in episode two who claim to have been healed. All of that info is in the show notes. Thanks for listening.